This morning, uh, we're going to do a couple of things. First thing I want you to do is to close your eyes while I read the Bible to you. Now, I intend to teach from the Bible, but you're not here this morning to learn from me. You're here this morning to listen to God. God addresses us through his word. So we're going to read this passage three times, and I want you to listen to it three times with your eyes closed. And I want you to pay attention and let God speak to you as his word is read. Paul tells his young protege, Timothy, to pay attention to the public reading of scripture. The scripture is meant to be read aloud and listened to. Right? We have an incredible privilege that we've got the Bible written down in handy little books, or some of you even have the Bible on this device. I don't think it's actually a good idea because there's too much temptation here. This is better. It's not going to take you in different directions. Right? Get a paper Bible if you haven't got one already. Bring it to church. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to listen and let God address you. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of God. Now, I want you to keep your eyes closed, and I'm going to get Sarah to read it to us again, and I want you to listen 
And this time as we go through the passage, the Holy Spirit is going to highlight a word or a phrase. Something's going to stand out to you. Maybe it already did. I want you to pay attention. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us a life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the things he planned for us long ago. Now, I want you to hold on to that word or that phrase or that verse that stuck out to you. Turn it over in your mind. Pay attention. What's God saying to you? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now in the work of the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised up with him and seated with us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, 
not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now I want you to take whatever it is that God highlighted and I want you to turn it into a prayer. Take God's word and address him in prayer. If you want to, you can pray with the person next to you. Just tell them which phrase it was and pray together. Or if you don't want to disturb what's going on, you can pray alone. Amen. So how are we doing? Is this the way you come to the scriptures most Sundays? Right, that thing that we just did is an ancient Christian practice. It's called Lexio Divina, which means the divine reading. If it's not a part of your regular spiritual habits, I recommend it. God loves it when we study the word, but the first thing he wants us to do is to read it with our ears and our hearts open because God wants to speak to us. Now, this is one of my favourite passages in the whole Bible. So uh, when, God ho- when God got hold of me in my late teens, this was one of the first passages that I learned by heart. It's sometimes called Little Romans. Right? It's called Little Romans because Paul covers much the same ground as he covers in the argument of the book of Romans, but he does it in a chapter and a half instead of 15 chapters. But it's not the gospel. Um, If you think that the book of Romans is Paul's exposition of the gospel, uh, then you probably don't quite get what the gospel is. Because that's not what the book of Romans is about. Nor is it what this passage in Ephesians is about. Paul's gospel, he could summarise in five words. Jesus... Christ, our Lord. Oh, sorry, that's four. In Greek, it's five words. In English, it's four. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul's gospel is the declaration that Jesus of Nazareth, a man, is Israel's Messiah and the world's true king. 
But we're not talking about that this morning. That's a whole different talk. This morning we're going to be focusing in on verse 10. But we're going to look briefly at the whole passage because there's some stuff that Jesus wants to do. Paul begins, once you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Now there's two pronouns in the first four verses. There's you and there's we. Ephesus was a, a, a Gentile city in the centre of Turkey. It was a very important uh, city in the Roman Empire. And it had a large Jewish colony, but it was mostly non-Jewish people. And so when Paul says, but you, what he means is, you non-Jews. You non-Jewish people in the church at Ephesus. Because see, what the book of Romans is about and what the book of Ephesians is about is not the gospel, but it's addressing the question, is it fair that God fulfills his promises to Abraham by giving him a worldwide multi-ethnic family? Is that fair? Because the Jews thought that they were the special ones. It turns out that when God promised Abraham that he was going to bless him and through Abraham's family bring blessing to every family on earth, that God meant that. He didn't mean that it's just for Jewish people. And I'm pretty pleased about that because I'm not Jewish. But I am in God's family. That's what Ephesians is about. And the second half of this chapter that we're not going to get about is this picture about there being two people, the Jewish man and the non-Jewish man, and God's bringing them together to make one. So when Paul starts, he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. He's talking about us non-Jewish people and all of the disgraceful things that we used to get up to. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Now, a trespass, that's an old word for sin, and it means that there's a line and we stepped over it. And we're on the wrong side of the line. You ever do that? Yeah, me too. Lots of lines, in fact. And sin is just the general catch-all word for sin. It's the stuff that puts us out of step with God. And because of trespass and sin, we were dead. Right? You were dead in the trespasses. Oh, I've lost my place again. Oh, there we go. Look, fortunately, we have a bookmark. And those words, see, my arms are no longer long enough. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world and following the prince of the power of the air. He means the devil. Do you remember what it was like before? Some of you still might be in the before bit. Where you're dead, 
because you stepped over the line and you don't know how to get back. Following the course of this world and the prince of the power of the, the air, right? giving in to the desires of your body and mind. And when we do that, we become children of wrath, under God's wrath, like the rest of mankind. Right? Paul's painting a picture of what we're like before we meet Jesus. The point that he's making is that that's what you used to be. This is who you used to be. But it's not who you are anymore. This chapter is about our identity. As I was praying about this, I had a sense that some of you are still doing the things that belong to the old you. You're still caught up in the passions of the flesh and the desires of body and mind. And so you don't talk to God much because you feel guilty. Now, I want to tell you this morning that your sin for God is not that big a deal. It's not that he wants you to sin. It's just that he doesn't think it's a real big deal. Because, see, he already dealt with it and he's wondering why you're still doing it. See, the problem with sin is not just that it'll destroy you if you keep doing it for the rest of your life. It's that it stops you from becoming who God wants you to be. It's getting in the road of you connecting with the God who's going to help you to become the best you that you can be. You can be. So Paul goes on, but God, and every one of us needs a but God moment. I've had several, probably more than my share. Because I'm one of those Christians who from time to time has gone back and started doing that stuff in the first few verses got distracted. I want you to listen to what Paul says. He says, but God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he has loved us, has made us alive in Christ. See, when we're caught in trespass in sin, when we're trapped in patterns of behaviour that are destructive, we're scared to come to God because we think God's mad with us. We think we're going to encounter an angry father who's going to beat us up. Paul says, no, no. What's God like? 
God is rich in mercy. Now, what's mercy? Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. See, we're scared to come to God because we think that God's going to give us what we deserve and we're terrified about that because we know what we deserve. Paul says God is rich in mercy. He's not going to treat you the way your sins deserve. But even better than that, God's not just rich in mercy. He's full of love. And he wants to lavish his love upon you. See, we're scared of the way in which God's going to treat us, but God's just standing there with his arms wide open saying, come, you have no idea how much I love you. We don't really know what love is until we've run into the love of God. See, I'm God's favourite kid. Putty said that the other day. I say that a lot. I actually believe it. I have two sons. You know which one's my favourite? Hard question because one of them's here this morning. I have two favourite sons. They're different but I'm just bursting with pride with the young men that they're becoming. God's like that. When you run into God's love, you come into this sense that God loves me and I'm his favourite kid. I've got his full attention and I've got all of the resources of his, his household. They're all at my disposal and I'm free because my dad is the king. That's what an encounter with the love of God is like. It's life-changing. And if you're still stuck at the start of the chapter, dead in trespasses and sin, that's a really dumb place to be. Just move on. Got to get into verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy... Out of, the great, out of the great love with which he loved us, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. But God didn't just make you alive in Christ. Now remember, where were we at the start of the chapter? What were we like? We were dead. What did God do? He made us alive. What did we do? Right, we did nothing. Right, we were dead. Now we're alive. God did it. You get it? We were dead. God made us alive. And we had nothing to do with it. God did it all. But God didn't just make us alive. He also raised us up together with Christ 
and made us sit with him in the heavenly places. Now, this is a phrase that's unique to the book of Ephesians. And at the end of chapter 1, which sets out in one long, magnificent, convoluted sentence, God's purpose, which is to unite everything in the universe, everything in heaven and earth, under one God, and that is Jesus. That's God's purpose, and he's doing that for the church. And he says, where's Jesus? God raised Jesus from the dead and he set him in the heavenly places far above every rule and power and principality. All of the demons, all of the things that were holding you in bondage when you were dead in trespasses and sin, all of the things that try to drag you back there when you take your eyes off Jesus or you get confused. right? Jesus is far above those things in the heavenly places and guess where you are? You're up there too. So you now, because you're in Jesus, outrank all of the demons. I've never run into a demon that I was scared of. In fact, I like running into demons. Casting them out is actually my favourite thing to do as a Christian. And I hadn't done it for a couple of years until Thursday, uh, Friday night after Luca's paratrooper word and God's promise that you're going to get restored and do the things that you haven't done for a while. 25 minutes later, I'm back doing my favourite thing. And a young girl's life changed because Jesus came and got rid of this filthy thing that had been whispering lies to her mind. This is what we're called to. This is why God saves us. But see, Paul wants to underline that bit about who did salvation. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Now that means of salvation, most Christians have misunderstood since Martin Luther. So when I grew up, when I first learned this verse, I read this verse is, I've been saved by grace. What's grace? Grace is God's free gift. See, not only does God give us mercy and love, he's got this incredible gift that he gives to us for free. That's one of the ways in which he lavishes his love upon us is by giving us this free gift of salvation and new life. That's grace. Paul says, by grace you have been saved through faith. Now think about the tense. Is this something that's going to happen to us? Or is this something that already did happen to us? Right, if you want to get technical, the Greek tense is the perfect tense, which is a form of the past tense that goes on forever. 
This is something that already happened and it's a continuing state of being. You got saved in the perfect tense and you didn't even know it. Something happened to you that's going to go on forever. There's nothing that can happen that will undo that. You get it? By grace you have been saved through faith. Now my question is, whose faith? Now I should underline that this is a very controversial point and a lot of scholarly ink has been spilled over this. I'm on the side of the good. We've always thought that Paul is talking about our belief in Jesus, that the faith is our faith. I don't think that's what it means at all. But you don't get that from Ephesians, you get that from reading Romans. And in Romans and in the first couple of chapters of Galatians, it becomes clear that Luther led us astray in giving us the idea that it's our belief in Jesus that enters, enters us into salvation. See, the word, the Greek word for faith can be translated two different ways. It can be translated belief or it can be translated faithfulness. And we've always believed that it's talking about belief, our belief in Jesus. Now, that's important. But what were we before we got saved? Right, what do dead things believe? They don't believe anything. Dead things can't do anything because they're dead. And so if you're dead and getting saved involves you believing something, you might be in a spot of bother. It's not about your faith in Jesus. It's about the faithfulness of Jesus. The thing that saves us is the faithfulness of Jesus, God's Son. So you don't even get to do that bit of your salvation. Because God knows you're not terribly reliable. So he doesn't want any bit of your salvation to depend on you, because you might mess it up. So he put the onus of salvation on his son, who is always reliable. Though we are faithless, Paul wrote to Timothy, he is always faithful. Our salvation comes to us through the faithfulness of Jesus the Messiah. You get it? There's no bit of our salvation that depends on us. It's all on Jesus and he did it. So do you need to try harder? No, you were dead. Dead things don't try at all. We just need to let God save us. By grace you've been saved through the faithfulness of Jesus. This is not your own doing, it's God's free gift. 
not of works so that nobody can boast. What do we boast in? We boast in the Lord. Why do we start our meetings with worship, where we sing our love to God? It's because we were dead and he made us alive through the faithfulness of Jesus. You see why I love this bit? Just love this passage. But Paul goes on and says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand. See, now we come to our bit. We used to be dead. God made us alive and he lifted us up and he seated us with Jesus in the heavenly places, in a place of authority over all of the demons and every, all of the yucky stuff that comes to mess up our life. And what's God want to do? I like the way Sarah's version translated it. Right, the, the ESV and the RSV and the NIV say we are God's workmanship. The Greek word is the word poema. It's where we get our English word poem from. So if you transliterate it into English, it's poem with an A on the end. And what it means is work of art, a masterpiece. This is what God wants to do with you. He saw you when you were dead and he made you alive by giving you the gift of salvation that depends on the faithfulness of Jesus. And he raised you up to sit with Jesus in the heavenly places. Why? Because he wants to partner with you to make your life into a work of art. Now there are some of you here and you're like a piece of beautiful coloured cloth that got ripped to shreds. You got torn into strips, right? The principalities and the powers, the passions of your flesh, the desires of your body and your mind have ripped your life up into shreds. And what does God want to do? He wants to come along and he wants to take the shreds of your life and together with you, he wants to weave them into a masterpiece, into a work of art, into something beautiful. And it doesn't matter where you are in your life. It doesn't matter what's happened in your past. God's willing to start right now and he's really good at this process of putting our life back together. He's a great artist. He knows everything that happened to you and none of it bothers him because he knows he's got it under control. All you have to do is come and receive his free gift of salvation and he'll start to weave your life all of the broken tatty bits into a work of art, into a masterpiece that you make with him. 
See, God's wanting to do some revision on your view of yourself. He wants you to discover your identity. And Putty told us on Friday that identity is something that's given to us. And the place we're supposed to get our identity is from the God who made us. See, God made you specially. The Bible tells us that we are a special creation. Now, he's not just talking about humanity as a whole. He's talking about you. That when God formed you in the womb, he was paying attention. He knew what he was doing. And he made you just the way he wanted you to be. You're not a mistake. There are not any bits in your life that he's looking at you and think, oh, geez, I messed that up. I wish it was a bit taller. Right? I wish a bum wasn't quite so big. I wish I didn't have fat ankles. Or tummies. We might wish those things. God's not looking at you and thinking there's anything wrong at all. He loves everything about you. And he wants you to love yourself too. Because see, what God wants to do with you, the masterpiece that he's working on, is you in Christ. That's who God saved. Right? We are a masterpiece in Christ. Now, if we try and jump outside of Jesus, there might be a few smudges. The best bet is to stay in Christ, in the hands of the master artist, because he made you, and he not only made you, but he knows you. Now, one of the problems we have as humans is that we don't have a good deal of self-awareness. There's an awful lot of stuff in us that we, just don't, we don't even understand ourselves. But God does. That's why we need to come to him. And God not only made us and knows us, but he loves us just the way you are. So what are the good works which God prepared in advance for you to do? That's not a general statement. That's a specific statement that God, when he was paying attention to you in your mum's womb and making you and mixing together your personality and your uh, the, the way your brain works, the way your uh, body, what you can do with your hands and your feet, right? The things that you love, your passions. God put all of those things together in a unique bundle. There's never, ever been anyone just like you. And there will never be anyone like you again. You are one of a kind and God loves you. 
Now, he wants to take you and put you in Jesus. And in Jesus, he wants you to make the best version of yourself that you can be. These are the good works that God prepared in advance for you to do. He wants to take your life and he wants to help you to live your life the way Jesus would live it if he was you. What would Jesus be like if he had your job? Or if he had to go with you down to Centrelink? How would Jesus do that? What would Jesus be like if he was in your family? If he had your dad or your kids? How would Jesus live that bit of your life? How would Jesus clean your bathroom? These are the good works that God prepared for us in advance that we would live our life the way Jesus would live it if he was us. And if we do that, we discover that God's all around us already at work, and not only does he want us to live our life the way Jesus would live it if he was us, but there's all this stuff that will bust out around us because when Jesus comes into a situation, he changes things. And so if Jesus came to your workplace, to your family, he'd come with the presence of the Holy Spirit And the Holy Spirit's going to be looking around thinking, oh, there's some stuff we could do there. There's some stuff that's just about ready right here. These are the good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's workmanship. God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. When God raised Jesus from the dead, he initiated the age to come. And at that point, creation was renewed. New creation began on the Resurrection Sunday. Now, when God made humans the first time, he put them in the garden. And as Putty told us yesterday, he gave them an identity and a destiny. And that got messed up. In the new creation, guess what God's doing? He's restoring our identity as the children of God and he's giving us a destiny which is to work with God the creator in the work of new creation. Now in this passage, Pine River's Vineyard, all of the verbs are plural. 
This is not just something for you to do as an individual follower of Jesus. Whether you're good at following Jesus or not so good at following Jesus, that's fine because Jesus is really good at being faithful. But God wants us to partner with him in the work of new creation. What's Pine River's Vineyard for as a community? It's to partner with God in the work of recreation here in the northern suburbs of Brisbane. What does new creation look like? Right? What's it look like in Strathpine in, what's the address of this place? Launton in Petrie. Sorry, I don't know this part of the world terribly well. But Jesus does. And he's got stuff to do. And so God wants you to come to Jesus to be recreated, to be turned into a masterpiece. But he's saying that to all of us as a community. You get it? All right, you've done really well to stay with me. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to listen again to Jesus. Now, there are some of you who slid back into the stuff that you used to do. Now, if that's you this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something brave. And if you do, God's going to do something really kind. Right? If you've been playing up and doing stuff that you know is not good for you, that you know that God's not real happy with, I'm going to ask you to stand up holding figuratively in your hands the stuff that you've been doing. And then you know what Jesus is going to do? He wants you to turn your hand over and just let that stuff go. That's all you have to do. It's gone. Because, see, that's not who you are. That's who you were. It's not who you are now. God saved you. And it's got nothing to do with you. Jesus did it all. You just have to let go of this stuff and God will take it away. And this will work every time. Now, God doesn't want you to go back to that stuff. But he knows that when we're starting out, sometimes we're not real reliable. He's very patient. He's full of mercy and he loves you. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll come upon these guys who've bravely stood in your presence and I pray that you'll just pour your spirit upon them, that you'll come and empower them with new life. We call new creation to be birthed in these guys. New creation. Let it come. Oh.
Thank you, Lord. Now, there are a couple of people here who've never heard about God's free gift of salvation. It's a great deal. It's the best deal you'll ever be offered. You should, you should come and get some this morning. And if you want it, then when I'm done here, I'd encourage you to come and talk to Kirk or talk to David or talk to me. And we'll show you how you get to receive a free gift of mercy, of lavish love, of grace. Now, there's two other things that God wants to do before he'll let you go off to lunch. He's been doing some work on your identity, Pine Rivers Vineyard, because he wants you to know that you're sons and daughters of the king. You're not sinners. That's who you used to be. It's no longer your identity. You might do it, but it's not who you are. Your royalty, your God's royal family, children of the king. And you've been raised up in Jesus for a higher purpose. Now, there are some of you who've had some grievances with God over the way he made you. There are some bits of you that you've been complaining about. You wish you were different. God wants to take that up with you right now. He wants you to stand up in his presence. And he wants to address your identity. Now, this is particularly the case for some of the young women here who have been distracted by the image of perfection and beauty that's sold to us by the worldwide interweb. God didn't make any mistakes when he made you. He thinks you're beautiful. He loves the job that he did when he made you. And there are some guys here who also struggle with their sense of themselves. God wants you to know that he didn't mess up when he made you. And so I just want you to stand in the presence of the Father and I want you to receive his adoption into the royal family. Now, the book of Romans tells us that adoption as children of God is an experience of the Holy Spirit. It's an ongoing experience where we learn more and more about who we are. Oh, sorry about that. Who we are as sons and daughters of the King. 
I want you to reach out your hands. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you will come and you will release the spirit of adoption upon us. Let the lavish love of the Father be poured out upon us today. There are some of you young guys who should be standing. Some of you young girls who should be standing. This is not something that we get sitting down because God wants you to take on his identity. He wants you to admit publicly that you're a son or a daughter of the king. Oh. Now, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come as the spirit of adoption and that you'll release to us this morning our identity as children of the king. as members of the royal family, princes and princesses who have a, a, a higher purpose, a higher calling. Now I'm going to get some of the, the leaders to move around and lay hands on people and just pray for this experience of adoption to be released this morning.